listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly show featuring reporting and interviews on local news, music, and culture. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. We're excited to be back after a midsummer break with new episodes in your podcast feed every Friday. We're also asking for your help spreading the word about Jackson Unpacked. You can do that either by rating the show in Apple Podcasts or the old-fashioned way by sharing it with friends and family. Coming up on today's show, all of Teton County is now in severe or extreme drought. The last time we experienced something of this nature was probably about 30 years ago. Plus, the Jackson-based musician Jake Dullin reflects on how his time in the U.S. Army and traveling around the country influences his sound. I feel like it's, it's I'm turning a page. I just, I'm just like transitioning, so I, I don't know what next project's gonna look like. But first, a new report studying the greater Yellowstone ecosystem shows the tremendous extent to which climate change has transformed our region and will continue to change it over the next century. It also explores how a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions could benefit the backyard where Jackson Hole locals live, work, and play. KHOL's Will Walkie talked to two authors of the report about their findings and what they hope area residents will take away from them. Walk around the waterways in Grand Teton National Park, and it's not hard to see how the climate is changing Jackson Hole right before our eyes. Upstream of Jackson Lake, Pilgrim Creek is reduced to a slow trickle amidst a plain of dried up stream beds due to low rain and snowfall. Downstream is Jackson Lake Dam, which is now releasing four to six inches of water a day into the Snake River to help Eastern Idaho farmers grow their dry and depleted crops. Look up toward the Tetons and you'll likely see just faint outlines of ridgelines and a bright red sun through a thick haze caused by western wildfires. This all sounds familiar to Charles Dremel, who lives in Bozeman. Oh man, we've been, it's been a rough summer here, yeah. Dremel is Water Conservation Coordinator for the Greater Yellowstone Coalition, a nonprofit dedicated to protecting one of the largest intact ecosystems in North America. 22 million acres spanning three states, two national parks, and thousands of people from Pinedale to Driggs to Livingston, Montana. The Greater Yellowstone ecosystem is an extraordinary natural and cultural landscape. There's no other place like it in the world. That's why Dremel, like so many others across the region, has been seriously affected by climate change over the last few years. To hone in on your homeland, to hone in on this specific region and and actually see very specific changes that have happened from 1950 to 2018 is very sobering. Over the past three years, scientists and statisticians from several academic institutions like the University of Wyoming poured over historical data to look at how much the greater Yellowstone ecosystem has changed since the mid-20th century and how much it could change in the coming decades. Their work culminated in the mammoth eight-chapter Greater Yellowstone Climate Assessment released in late June. The report summarizes how climate change could progress by 2100 based on various greenhouse gas concentration scenarios and concluded that since 1950, temperatures significantly increased, snowfall decreased, and snowmelt and stream runoff is occurring earlier in the spring adding to water shortages in the summer because of climate change. 
the average temperature in the ecosystem has gone up by 2.3 degrees and is projected to continue warming. That means wildfires that burn longer and hotter, massive shifts for local wildlife and fish, and many other disruptions. I love winter, I love snow, and I love them for their uh, aesthetic, for their recreational opportunities, also for our industries, for outdoor recreation, for agriculture, and to see basically our essential water storage decreasing by 23% in that roughly 70-year period is uh, very alarming. Another author of the report, Steve Hostetler, is a climate scientist with the U.S. Geological Survey based in Corvallis, Oregon. He says the research indicates that the changing climate will alter life in our region no matter what. But there's tons of variability depending on how us humans interact with our planet over the coming decades. Carbon dioxide persists for a long, long time. And heat, no matter, even if we stop today, the effects of this are going to be, would be felt for a long time because the oceans are still absorbing heat, glaciers are still melting, and it takes a long time for everything to kind of come into balance. On a lower trajectory, we can certainly do a lot in terms of making a big difference for the whole planet. Hostetler helped create a number of possible future scenarios for the report. In one, humans start to reduce emissions now, and temperatures level off by around 2050. The other one is the upper bound scenario. It's been known as business of u- as usual. The difference between the two scenarios is staggering. With reduced emissions, temperatures across the greater Yellowstone ecosystem increase by an average of 5 degrees by the 2060s. In the business as usual model, the increase doubles to 10 degrees by the end of the century. If you move the baseline up, let's just use temperature by 2 or 3 degrees, and now you're in a new world where you're working with different baseline conditions, that presents a bigger management problem because we have that going on. We have changes in the seasonality of water availability and so forth. Both Hostetler and Dremel say they've seen great responses from a slew of concerned citizens since the release of their report. Part of Dremel's job was to interview leaders in the region, from tribal heads to water managers, about their feelings on climate change. He says he hopes having some hard data in the hands of the public will spring people into action. I think that there's also um, a desire to see more direction coming from the top of their agencies, whether they're in Helena, Cheyenne, or Boise, or from Washington, D.C., to, to provide more resources to really address this. Dremel and Hostetler will help host public meetings this fall throughout the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, including in Jackson, to discuss the report. The pair says they expect a lot of interest from locals in Jackson and elsewhere who love the places they live and whom they believe will want to help preserve it as much as possible. Will Walkie, KHOL News. We turn next to one specific way climate change is affecting life in Jackson Hole. 100% of Teton County is now experiencing severe or extreme drought, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. And while there aren't any mandatory water use restrictions in place as of yet, 
The Teton Conservation District, a local government entity, is urging both residents and visitors to rethink how we're using water. KHOL's Kyle Mackey spoke with the district's water resources specialist to learn more. As you're driving west on Jackson's High School Road, a little olive green structure is perched on the right, just before the bridge over Flat Creek. It looks like a mini silo with an antenna on top. And if you get up close, there's a sign that says USGS Stream Gauging Station. All right, are we, is this the gauge over here? So um, the stream gauge is, stream gauges have changed quite a bit over the years. So what you can physically see here is um, an antenna and a little building that we used to use all the time, which is called a stilling well. Um, Carlin Gerard is the water resources specialist and associate director of the Teton Conservation District. We met here so he could explain how a gauging station works and how it helps tells us that Teton County is officially in drought. And really what it is is a, a pipe that's, that's holding um, a cable down to a uh, pressure transducer. And what the pressure transducer does is measures the amount of weight and water sitting on top of the device and, and then can calculate a uh, elevation. And so it's a little complicated, but basically from that depth of water, the USGS then uses a model to measure the stream's discharge at that point in time. Simple math. <laughs> this simple system. The gauging station can also measure temperature and turbidity, a proxy for suspended sediment in the water, according to Gerard. Part of his job is summarizing all that data for the local community and water managers. I oftentimes do it during flood periods in order to uh, help people understand how the current flood situation compares to previous years or uh, record years. This year, I've actually, as the first time I've been in this situation, have been doing the inverse and really making these comparisons with regard to low water years and um, drought conditions. Can you give us an overview of where we are right now in Teton County? So Teton County, Wyoming is in severe drought, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. And really what that means is we're experiencing low stream flows. Groundwater availability is a little bit more limited and some people are running into issues. You know, and, and generally, I think from the conservation district's perspective, we're in a position where we want to start to be proactive because as water availability decreases, you start to run into more issues. So how rare is it for all of Teton County to be in this severe drought status? We've experienced conditions fairly similar to this in, in 2016 from a water perspective, but I would say the last time we experienced something of this nature was probably about 30 years ago. Okay, so what is the role of the community? You know, residents here, visitors to Jackson Hole, how can we help? I think it's about being more conscientious with water use. It comes down to recognizing that we all have this tiny little incremental effect, but that it all adds up together to be quite substantial. And there's a lot of little things we do every day um, that use water, obviously, in our home. Things like bathing and flushing toilets, washing cars, uh, washing our dishes, washing our clothes. 
all of those things can be done in a way that's more water conscious. And around here, because we have a lot of water, typically our norm is to not really think about those things. So in our home, we can use less water by showering a little bit less frequently or for shorter periods of time. Only uh, running your dishwasher when it is completely full or you're uh, really thinking about that in terms of your clothes as well. Some of the big savings can come from our landscape practices and, and how we manage green areas around our homes. I think even in these conditions, people uh, overwater to a really, really large extent. The rule of thumb is typically about 15 minutes per area every other day is enough to keep grass green around here. And um, anything more than that is really depleting your soil of nutrients and is, is just wasted water. Gerard says there's also been more water use this summer compared to other years because of hot, dry weather conditions and huge numbers of tourists. The town of Jackson, for example, reported using 15 percent more water this June than in 2020. That's the equivalent of about 34 Olympic-sized swimming pools. As a water specialist in this community, I would say there's almost a large amount of entitlement and kind of deflection of responsibility around these topics. And I'm very interested in trying to help change that perspective, swing it more towards the realistic reality that water issues in Teton County are a collective problem that take collective action. And this is a really good time to rethink some of the, some of the things we do here, like have really large green lawns that Gerard also says the current drought conditions should serve as a lesson for how climate instability results in very real consequences for humans, even in places like Teton County that are generally perceived to be water rich. Kyle Mackey, KHOL News. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked on KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly show featuring reporting and interviews on local and regional news, music, and culture. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked are now available on Fridays on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next, KHOL Music Director Jack Catlin interviews local singer-songwriter Jake Dullin. Just kidding. Jake Dullin is a singer-songwriter who prefers to do things on his own terms. Since finishing his obligations with the U.S. Army in 2018, Dullin has independently written, produced, and recorded three releases. His latest release, Rubble, came out recently at the end of June, featuring five stripped-down tracks primarily focused on his voice and his guitar. Jake Dullin joins us now in the KHL studio. So you served time in the U.S. Army before launching your music career. Were you able to stay creative while serving in the armed forces, or did your inspiration come later once your time was completed? Uh, good question. The actual time in the Army, uh, I was writing some, but the Army is kind of, it's hard to, I tried to as much as possible. I signed the contract when I was 18. It was kind of like a family trade type situation, so my older brother was in, my dad was in, my grandpa was in, so it was kind of like, no one like forced me to do it, but it was kind of like a, it was kind of just the way things went, and at least in my family. So how did that experience affect or shape your writing? 
the main way I think is like when you're in the military, you're kind of like locked in and you're, it's like discipline and kind of like your whole career and your whole life. So I think when I got out, thank, thankfully, I was kind of just like transferred that like right to music basically. So I was just like, all right, this is what I do now. Doing it pretty much nonstop for the last couple of years, treating it, you know, more like a, a commitment because it is, you know, except that now I want to do this. So you split your time between a few different places like California, Colorado, and Oregon, but most notably your hometown in Maryland and here in Jackson Hole. What is it about these different places you pass through that inspire your music? I pretty much play where I feel inspired to go and play. So as like far as Colorado and Jackson, and you kind of move through the country. And like my most recent trip back out from Maryland, it's like a three-day drive. I kind of took it a little slower. And uh, all the different people you meet in the different states, where you are like psychologically when you're in that zone. And then I'm like driving through these places and I'm remembering all these like phases. And so now I'm just kind of like, enjoying that all and I'm not getting caught up in it like I may have a year or two ago and I'm just like I'm thankful for you know all the different places how does the lack of a permanent home base make its way into your music you mentioned like meeting people on the road and you know different experiences you mentioned before we got on air I don't know I mean it's kind of like a lifestyle thing and yeah some people have been asking me like how do you write and you just kind of like you just put everything you just kind of get everything pointed in the right direction that's all you can really do and then hopefully some type of inspiration or some type of song or lick or lyric or something comes and then it kind of takes itself. Yeah, so that was basically my next question. A lot of the local musicians I've interviewed have mentioned that inspiration for song can come at any time, anywhere. Do you have a certain songwriting process or is it just kind of random as far as the song and what that context is? It depends. For each project is a little bit different. I don't know. I'm in a different zone now. Like I don't know how I'm going to write the next one, but it's kind of exciting. I've actually written, I've, I've started writing song titles, so no lyrics. I just have the title of the song. So I might just do like 10 titles and then try to fill in the rest, which is, would be really fun yeah. to try to do that. So I feel like it's, it's, I'm turning a page. I just, I'm just like transitioning. So I, I don't know what the next project is going to look like. You seem to have a love hate relationship with recording at professional studios. Can you explain why you prefer to do everything on your own? When you bring someone in and you're like, hey, these are the songs let's, and you already have a direction, you know, it, it's kind of not going to work creatively. And you're like on the clock because you're spending money and like, I don't got much money. Is it like they're trying to put their two cents in and kind of switch, yeah, well, sway the direction a little bit? They probably don't even mean to, but that's that's human nature. Plus, they obviously want money because mm -hmm. they have a studio. They want you to come in and spend money in their studio so they make money because that's what they do. So it's like... I, that's fine, you know, but I, I'm trying to serve the songs. I don't have anything against anyone that does that, but as far as just me trying to make it work, I just haven't been able to do it, which is okay. It's all part of the process. I sent the record to all the studios I went to and I'm like, Hey, like, thank you for being a part of the process. Like mm -hmm. I finished it. You know what I mean? Like, because it is, it's like, if you're going into the studio, you, it kind of speeds up your writing. You get a better grasp on the songs. You know how to better to perform them. You're working with people, you're making connections. So it's not like a total loss, but the last studio I was in, I started, I listened to what we were getting and I was like, this is not what I want at all. Like I was in a different place when I was playing the songs. Like the thing is when you're self-producing, you can literally just set up a mic whenever you're feeling like doing that particular song, you just, you do that take. And it's all about the vocals. If the vocals are off, the whole song can kind of collapse. I mean, if, if you're messing up the instrumentation a little bit, I think people are more forgiving. It's hard to get a vocal performance mm -hmm. that you're actually okay with putting in the books to like last 
that's the art of being a performing musician. Like that's, that's what you have to figure out how you're going to do that. And, yeah. that. and that's what I do. That's what I, that's what I do. I figure out how to do that. So that, that was going in all the studios was like, all right, I can't do it this way. I can't do it this way. <laughs> you know, I can't do it this way and I'm losing money. So I'm like worried, you know? So it's like, looks like I'll be uh, doing it myself. So it goes back to the necessity thing, you know? Mm. It's about being happy with the product you're going to put out. It's really just yeah, all that's comes most down important. To. So this is really interesting. The next question um, you mentioned to me before the interview that you are interested in creating an entrepreneurial, independent music community. Would love to hear more. Can you tell us more about that? Doing music independently, how, how I'm doing it, is entrepreneurial by nature. Mm-hmm. It just is what it is. I've actually recently heard that entrepreneurial thinking is like the same as creative thinking. Is the same of like as like being open or being artistic they're, they're kind of the same vibe yeah it's very big picture if it benefits both of us let's do it you know let's play if you're listening now say what's up it's my emails on the site or whatever i don't know just hit me up and let's let's do some cool stuff so you're back in jacks you're very open to collaborating has that been a newer experience for you with looking for those collaborations I'm like based out of Jackson, so everyone from Jackson is cool with me. You know what I mean? Like, this is a good place to play. There's a lot of bands here. There's some good sounds coming out of Jackson, so let's represent our town. You know what I mean? You can hear music from Jake Dillon right here on KHUL during our local music hour. That airs weekdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Make sure to visit 891khul.org for more music, news, and culture. I'm Jack Catlin, and this is KHUL Jackson. Starting today, we're going to be ending the show with a new weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this week. I'm Emily Cohen with a roundup of this week's headlines. Tune in weekdays at the top of the hour to stay up to date on the latest local and regional news. Former Wyoming Senator Mike Enzi died unexpectedly Monday at the age of 77 due to complications following a serious bike accident. The former shoe salesman, mayor of Gillette, and state representative served in Washington, D.C. from 1997 until his retirement at the end of last year. John Barrasso, who served alongside Enzi for 13 years, mourned him on the Senate floor Tuesday. As I said, Mike Enzi was a moral compass for many of us, and he always pointed true north. He was a friend and a mentor to me, to so many senators on both sides of the aisle over 24 years. He knew how to find common ground and bring people together better than any. It was rare for an NZ bill to receive fewer than 80 votes. As a conservative known for his fiscal discipline, NZ wrote more than 80 bills that were signed into law by four presidents. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon also honored NZ Tuesday by ordering all American and state flags to be lowered to half-staff. A recently released report found that women in Wyoming particularly single mothers, were severely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. The Wyoming Women's Foundation used state employment and Census Bureau data to compare how women in the cowboy state were doing in 2019 with how they did in 2020. And executive director of the Wyoming Women's Foundation, Rebecca Smith, says last year was a tough one for everyone, but for working women in particular. Women claimed just 31% of unemployment checks in 2019 but 42% in 2020, a massive jump. You know, just seeing the magnitude of that was a little bit surprising. Um, 
for me and really telling that this is extremely important and um, we really need to make sure that other folks in the state are paying attention and doing what they can to help get women back to work. Smith says a number of factors, like having to take on more responsibility at home, mental health challenges, and the increasing costs of childcare contributed to this jump. The town of Jackson announced the launch of a redesigned and more accessible website Monday. The new site features a full translation in Spanish and better compatibility with screen readers, which are commonly used by individuals who are blind or otherwise visually impaired. Susan Scarlotta is community engagement specialist for the town. She says the goal of the redesign is to make online information about town services easily accessible for as many locals as possible, including Latino residents. There's so much jargon in government, and sometimes you pull up a page and it's hard to even determine in your first language exactly what's going on. So we wanted to try and make it as accessible as possible in in all the ways that we could. Scarlatta also says the town took into account what people were searching for most during the redesign process. The website address for the town of Jackson remains jacksonwy.gov. With fishing at Jackson's Flat Creek set to open Sunday, the Wyoming Game and Fish Department is strongly encouraging anglers not to fish past 2 p.m. when water temperatures are highest. The voluntary restriction is requested for locations like the National Elk Refuge, which have mandatory catch and release regulations for trout. Carlin Gerard is the Water Resource Specialist and Associate Director of the Teton Conservation District. He explains why the current combination of low water levels and hot, dry weather is dangerous for fish. As temperature increases in water, there's an absolute uh, relationship to the dissolved oxygen concentration in that water. So the warmer it gets, the less oxygen there is present in the water. And so their ability to recover, it's a lot like us going up to high elevations um, or something like that. The more stressful it is and the less oxygen there is, the harder it is on those fish. Game and Fish is also asking anglers throughout the region to catch and release fish as quickly as possible. Other tips to help improve a fish's chance of survival include not placing fingers in gills, not squeezing fish, and removing hooks gently. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strombucket. Subscribe now to Jackson Unpacked on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leaving a rating for the show also really helps our small team continue this work. Thanks for listening and for your support of Wyoming's only community radio station. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.